What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. Kawhi Leonard is going to join the Clippers. Kawhi turns the corner for the win. Three on the way. Yes. Paul George nails it. Lou Williams for the win. Bingo. Yo, what's up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of Clip and Roll. As always, I'm your host, Justin Russo. And as usual, joined by Farbad Esnashari. Farbad, it's been two weeks. I'm sure the fans are wondering what the hell we were up to. Did you die? Two weeks in these days is like two years. So basically, I'm in my 30s now. I mean, I, buddy, I've been in my 30s. Uh, we've been busy. Like, there's like we've meant to record several times, just to be honest with people. We've meant to record several times. I apologize for the two-week hiatus, I guess. Uh, I've been busy and stressed out with stuff. Farbaugh's been busy with stuff. Um, just a lot going on, uh, to tell you how jam packed schedules and everything have been. The Clippers just played eight times in 14 days. Um, they played like seven times in 11 days, uh, a little bit of, or during the stretch as well. So, um, that, that there's a lot going on and that's why we haven't recorded in about two weeks. Uh, far by they've gone seven and one since we last talked, they have wins over Portland, Phoenix, Houston, Detroit, Indiana, Detroit again, and Minnesota on Sunday. Uh, their only loss was by three points on the road at the end of a trip against Philadelphia. Uh, they were without Kawhi Leonard uh, for that one. They were also without Patrick Beverly and Serge Ibaka. We'll get into their injuries in a second. But 7-1 and one in the last eight games, on that nine-game homestand, they go 7-2, and two, which is what we said they probably needed to go in order to maintain momentum going forward. What is your confidence level in the team at this point? I mean, it's pretty high. I think it's a different level of confidence. One thing I want to ask you after I finish this is something else, but uh, it's a different level of confidence than when the season started because I felt like when the season started and they were you know, destroying everybody, it just felt like shots were going in a majority of the games. Uh, this time around, like you see them win in a much variety of different ways. It's, it's exactly what PG said post game one game where he said, I feel like we've been hitting a checklist of things to, you know, figure out on how we're going to win. And, um, it's, it's fairly, fairly high. Uh, I don't think it could get much higher, especially with how, how injured they've been. Can't even be mad at the Philadelphia loss. Also, think that was like some questionable officiating down the stretch. But one question I would ask you is: Is there a game in that eight-game span you're most impressed with? Um, that's an interesting question. Most impressed with? Because there's a lot of impressive, impressive ones in that. Yeah, like in theory, it would be the Phoenix game. But I also look like Phoenix was also on the second night of a back-to-back and cooled off in the second half of that game. And the Clippers just obliterated them down the stretch, which is great. Um, 
it would still probably be the Phoenix game, but the Portland game, the one before that, the Portland game where they just suffocated Dame for the entire stretch was absolutely mind boggling to watch because they had that man in prison. Um, so it, it's really weird. Like for what the game meant, the Phoenix game for what I saw and was like, this is something that really impressed me, the Portland game and their defense on Dame. I forgot about that game. I mean, I think the Phoenix game, even though it was in the second night of a back-to-back, like that one was pretty impressive in terms of just like knowing what it meant uh, as much as a regular season can mean. You know, for some reason, like the emotional answer, I feel like is the Detroit game, the second one where Reggie hits the game winner. That was the one that was the fifth game in seven nights, right? That was the one that's fifth game in seven nights too. Yeah. Yeah, and it was it was a it was also like you know obviously a, a back to back or second out of a back to back, and they're without Kawhi and PG and Marcus and Serge and Pat, and they look like crap, which I couldn't blame them for. Like you know, like they they look like garbage, and they were just in this game and in this game and in this game, and they're down eleven with four and a half to go, and they're down nine with like three minutes to go, and Reggie makes stuff happen. Reggie scored all 10 of his fourth quarter points in the final three minutes, by the way. Dude, there was the full spectrum of Reggie that game. Cause I feel like in the beginning you're, there was just like, Oh man, too many bad Reggie shots. And then at the end it was like, Oh man, so many good Reggie shots. Well, in the beginning it was like, well, damn, like Reggie's really pressed it out there. And I was like, well, I guess he has to, he's like the, you know, he's the best shot creator they have out on the floor. And then by the end of the game, I was like, I hope no one, but Reggie takes a shot. Like yeah. it's all, it could only be him. It was the full and spectrum. he bailed them out, and that's why I call him big government. At this, it point, was the full it, spectrum. Apparently, it was full Reggie Vision, though. So I guess that's no. I'm calling him. I'm, I'm not calling him a hot sauce. I feel like NBA players have weird nicknames because, like Kevin Durant, didn't want to be called Slim Reaper. Uh, you have Reggie Jackson getting called hot sauce over big government. And then Landry Shamit told me personally he prefers to be called Lambo as his nickname, and I don't think anyone wants to call him Lambo. And it seems, unless except for Kobe Bryant, the fans usually come up with better nicknames than the players do. Uh, yeah, I think Reggie needs to embrace big government because that man has bailed the Clippers out in at the end of games with last second shots, whatever you want to call. I'm just saying he needs to just be big government. Is there? A ge- I know I mentioned the, uh, what game impresses you the most, but in this season where it seems like everybody has stepped up a bajillion times, whether it's Terrence, Reggie, Zoo, PG, Kawhi, is there a player that has surprised you or impressed you the most this season on the Clippers? Ooh. Um, can I say like all of them? You got to pick one. I got to pick one. Honestly, Reggie, because... I don't care what people thought about Reggie in the preseason, like when they when they re-signed him. I know people poo-pooed on it, and that's fine. Like I, I even said, like, I understand why they brought him back. We'll see what his role is, because they traded for Kennard and they did all these things. And they still had Lou at the time, so it was a little weird. But getting or trading Lou for Rondo has also allowed Reggie to embrace a better role for himself. And with Pat being out, it's like, here's this guy who he's our starting point guard 
who's quick enough to get downhill, but he's one hell of a catch and shoot guy. And he plays with swagger. He plays with confidence. He plays with belief. Um, when he gets the ball in a catch and shoot, I just expected to go in. Then again, with pretty much any clipper at this point, when they get the ball in a catch and shoot, I expected to go in. Um, but I'll say Reggie, because when you really look at it with Pat's injuries this year and what Reggie's been able to fill and do uh, in filling that void without Pat, they'd be lost without him. Like he saved them a lot of times this year with really good play. Um, that second night of a back-to-back in San Antonio, he scores 28. You know, the game against Detroit, second night of a back-to-back, all those guys missing, he scores 29. And he's leading them to wins, man. Like he was part of the reason they were even in that game at Atlanta way early in the season that they lost when everyone was sitting again. He was the biggest reason they were in that game. So I kind of look at it like if it wasn't for Reggie, I don't know where this team would be right now. And that's a really weird thing to kind of say, but like, it's also how I do feel. Yeah. It's either between Reggie, Batum or Terrence. Cause I, I had no idea Terrence would develop into what he's developed into. And I had no idea Batum would be this solid. It's pretty tough. At this, like, honestly, for me, like, I, cu- I couldn't even pick one. And I'd, I'd have to do, like, some kind of rock, paper, scissors between Reggie Batum and Terrence. I mean, Batum's got a great case, too, like, when you really think about it. But I'd probably go Reggie just because, like, as big as Batum was early in the season, Reggie's had, like, that sustained season where it's like, well, now he's starting, like, all these games and being a key contributor in all these games. And I understand what Batum's done this season. It's been great, better than anyone could have actually expected but you're looking at reggie reggie started 34 games like they'd be dead in the water without him yeah i mean honestly yeah that's i guess when you look at it in terms of the feast or famine position reggie had it's a different situation than batum i think batum's feast or famine was in the beginning with marcus you know being out until january but reggie's has been like over half the season now yeah, like he started 34 games. He started over half their games. Like this isn't like, oh, he started 10 games. Ha ha ha. Like this is cool. No, he's he started 34 of their games and Pat started 31. So like Reggie's been the guy more than Pat has, which is a very weird way to have it. But I mean, Reggie supplied more on the offensive end. Hasn't been as good defensively as Pat, but I do feel like Reggie's been better defensively this year than I would have expected him to be. I definitely don't think Reggie is anywhere near the liability you know he was last season. I wouldn't let him get switched on to Luca, but he, it felt like a lot of his issues last season were be, were because he just didn't really know his role. Like he, he comes to the team, he has to live in an apartment during an entire you know two to three month hiatus. It was just a lot of like, it's a lot of makeshift, just figure it out there on the court kind of situation for him last season. I mean, I guess you could chalk that up also with Marcus, right? Because like Marcus has said, he didn't really understand his role after being traded to the team. And this year he understands his role and he feels very comfortable in the role that Ty has given him. And, you know, I asked Ty after the game if or before the game against uh, against Minnesota, if if putting Marcus more in the mid post more, he thinks has made him comfortable. And he said, yeah, like 
You know, you get guys the ball in the spots that they that they know how to score in, and sooner or later they're going to do well at it because that's what where they've always done well. And I feel like Marcus's comfort level has been on another level this year. Reggie's been on another another level this year. And you go up and down the list of the Clipper players that you're just like, all right, like this dude looks comfortable. You like Patrick Patterson's been good for the Clippers in the last couple of weeks with Sergi Baca sidelined still with his back injury. He hasn't played in the last 19 games. Teams like 15 and four in those games without him. Um, but, you know, Pat Pat's played well. Zeus played well with his increased role and, and confidence that he's been given from that. Rondo came to the team and he's played well. PG's playing great lately. Um, Kawhi's been great all year. Um, the only hiccups have been injuries, and especially Pat. Like, Pat came back for the game against Portland and looked good, was, you know, clamping Lillard the whole the whole floor. And then in the Phoenix game, he wasn't good really at all and breaks his hand with like seven minutes to go in the game trying to get a rebound from Chris Paul. And now he's been out the last like six games and he's going to be out for at least another several weeks. Who knows if he returns for the postseason? I don't think he'll be back for the postseason. But Who, Pat? Yeah. Uh, Pat should be back by the postseason. So I've I've had people, uh, some people on the inside have told me there's no swelling on his hand at all. Uh, There's... There's a good chance he comes back on a shorter timeline than a longer timeline. If if the usual recovery time is four to six weeks, and six weeks would put him at the start of the postseason, they're expecting it to be closer to the four side than the six side. So I think the lack of swelling is going to be a big deal for him because that's that's I mean that's coming directly from people talking to him too. That uh, it's looking like he's going to come back sooner than later. Credit Karma has always been there to help you make better financial decisions. And now they want to help you even more. With a Credit Karma Money Spend account, you can be rewarded for good money habits. Credit Karma Money is a brand new checking account where you can win cash reimbursements for making purchases. Just pay with your debit card, and if you win, you'll be notified on the spot and your Instant Karma cash will be added back to your spend account. Open your FDIC insured spend account for free. There's no minimum balance requirements, no overdraft fees, and free withdrawals from a network of over 50,000 ATMs. And when you make a purchase between June 8th and June 30th, you'll automatically be entered to win $1 million. Right now, visit creditkarma.com backslash winmoney to open your free account and start winning instant karma. Go to creditkarma.com backslash winmoney to sign up for free and start winning. That's creditkarma.com slash winmoney. Instant Karma is sponsored by Credit Karma. No purchase necessary. Exclusions and terms apply. See rules. Banking services provided by MVB Bank Incorporated. Member FDIC. Maximum balance and transfer limits apply. I find it interesting that he went to surgery so fast. So he breaks his hand on a Thursday uh, against Phoenix and then immediately has surgery Friday morning. And that tells me they wanted him back as soon as possible. And he and he did, too, which I mean, power to him. Problem is, he's played like 48 minutes since the All-Star break. He played 11 minutes against Golden State, 20 against Portland, 17 against Phoenix. So you look at a guy who's played 48 minutes since the All-Star break. He's going to come back just before the playoffs or thereabouts. And I don't know if he's going to be the starter when he comes back. I think he will be. But I also think his minutes are going to be drastically cut because, you know, he's going to have to ramp back up into shape again. He'll probably run out of breath a bunch of times. They'll they'll probably have to pull him out a lot because he he won't be conditioned. Like 
pretty sure that happened against Phoenix or Portland. One of the two games, like they brought him back and he was like running out of breath and they had to pull him out. But I, I feel pretty confident that he's going to come back before the playoffs unless some kind of bad setback happens. But with the information I was told, the trajectory is pretty good. Well, he'll either run out of breath or fouls. <laughs> Serge, on the other hand, I'm, I'm not 100% sure about. I haven't asked for an update in a while on Serge. I just kind of... Once it gets to a certain time, like I just don't like bothering anybody. <laughs> like if it's Kawhi or PG, I will I'll ask. Serge has been out so long, like I'll ask once or twice. Um, Serge had a long ways to go. There was no timetable at all, like about a month ago. I haven't really followed up since then. In terms of Kawhi's injuries, you know, Kawhi, if it was the playoffs, he would have been playing. Um, they were being really cautious with him especially in this season where everybody's just kind of dropping. So there wasn't any real, real concern. There was just a level of discomfort uh, that he was, he didn't want to test out. Yeah. Um, it's kind of interesting because right now the Clippers are a game up in the loss column for the three seed. There are three back in the loss column for the two seed. Um, the two seeds in play, but it's going to get pretty interesting they have one game with Phoenix remaining, which is April 28th, which is coming up in nine days, I guess. Uh, the Clippers, by the time you hear this, the Clippers will be playing Portland on Tuesday, April 20th. They then turn around to play Memphis on April 21st. They then play Houston uh, on the road on April 23rd. And when you end up looking at their next two games, they'll have played. So the, uh, that'll be what? Um I just blanked that 61 games. The Clippers will have played 61 games um, to in like a staggering shortness of day. It's 61 games in 120 days, you know? So you're playing every other day and that gets draining. Guys get banged up. Guys need time off. We've seen that with Kawhi. We've seen that with PG surge is having his time off. Now Pat's been injured and gotten some time off. The only guy who hasn't taken time off this year is Avisa Zubats, and I'm not sure he can afford to take time off because that's how important he is to the Clippers right now. He's played in every game for the second straight season. Um, oddly enough, the guys who have played the second most games on the Clippers are Reggie Jackson and Terrence Mann. Se uh, the the guy behind him is, uh, or behind them is Nicholas Batum. So those are the guys who've played the most minutes or most games on the Clippers this season. Um, it's been a very wonky season. Obviously, Lou got traded. Rondo is here. Um, but I do want to mention earlier, you talked about how way earlier in the season, you thought, well, they're just making shots and whatever. They are currently on pace to have the second greatest three point percentage season in NBA history. This is no longer a small sample size. Like they are churning out three pointers. Um, they're taking uh, 34 and a half per game. They're making 42.1% of them. They're the greatest high volume three point shooting team in NBA history at this point. And they lead the entire league in free throw percentage. Um, they're basically putting forth the greatest shooting season we've ever seen. It's funny you, you can say that and then there's just like everybody's just so lame like online that your only response you're going to get is, yeah, but do it in the playoffs. Well, here's the thing. They might not be able to do it in the playoffs. Maybe that's the time where they hit their lull that they would normally hit during a season. 
Maybe that's the case. Maybe first round, second round, if they get to a conference finals, if they get to a finals, maybe that's when it's like, okay, here comes the downturn. Like they go through three or three games, four games of, you know, 30 mid thirties percent from three, which is mid thirties from three is still good. Like that's still fine, but it's not to the 41, 42% they've been at this season. Uh, Maybe that's, maybe that happens. I don't know, but they're currently putting forth the, the greatest high volume three point shooting season we've ever seen. And the change in offense is a big part of that. And I feel like like everyone's talked about, oh my God, they're shooting really well from three. But I don't feel like people have really talked about like how it's because of Ty Lue's system, you know? Yeah, I don't think... I mean, at the end of the day, what the majority is talking about, the majority doesn't... It's, it's physically impossible to watch every game at a level where you can give a concrete analysis about every team. Like it's just it's just not possible for me to watch you know the the Suns or the Bucks or whoever at the same level that I'm watching the Clippers. So when you hear people like on TV or giving these national opinions that end up kind of influencing the majority, like a lot of times I feel like their opinions are wrong because they just don't watch and they need to not have national guys give opinions on everything. National TV guys, sorry. And you not let national TV guys have opinions on everything because they don't watch everything. Let each person be segmented by a certain region so you can at least give a somewhat accurate statement. Because all of the falsehoods you see from like the way people falsely attribute, you know, how well certain teams are doing or this or that, like is because they just don't watch. I mean, yeah, like if you don't watch something, you're not going to be able to formulate a, a solid enough opinion on it. So if national people, uh, national television people and opinionators on the national level are not watching this team, you know, but like one or two nights out of every couple of weeks, like they probably only see them on national broadcast and that's it. Like that's the only time they ever see them. So they're not watching the games against Minnesota or the games against um, like Detroit or Indiana or games against Houston, which I understand Houston's not good, but like th- those are the good habits that Ty Lue's talked about, like building the, towards the good habits, you know, constantly churning forward the team, this team, I can honestly say for uh, 59 games into the season, this team is vastly different than the team that started like four and one or 13 and four. Like, you know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, on the surface, they have, they actually have the same exact record they had last year at this point, but they're a completely different team if if you're actually watching them. Yeah, it's funny. So like I had the tweet today where I tweeted out that the record, you know, last year and this year is the same through 59 games, but they're currently on pace for the greatest offensive rating in NBA history. They're on pace to finish 10th defensively, which doesn't sound great, but in a season in which everyone's offense is kind of up is actually fine. Um, they're on pace to have a top two net rating last year at this pace at this time, they were, you know, fifth in net rating. Like this team's better this year than last year. And I see it like, like, here's the thing. This is honestly what I did want to talk about tonight too. I, I really did want to touch on this. I felt like last year's team had a high floor, like their floor was high because we knew what they were every single night. Like we knew what the rotations were going to be. We knew what the, like we just knew, like we just knew what the, what their floor was. 
this team this year, I feel like is a high ceiling team. And we've seen the adjustments through the season where it's like, okay, this 10 game stretch, we're going to roll with Patrick Patterson. This 10 game, 20 game stretch, we're going to roll with Terrence Mann. This stretch, we're going to see what Luke Kennard has. Like Ty is trying to find the things he wants to go to in the postseason, where I felt like in January last year, Doc already knew what his postseason stuff was, where I think Ty has an idea what it is this year, but I think he wants to see certain things before he gets there. Like, Does that make sense? Yeah, I mean, I think this year has a higher ceiling. That's pretty accurate. I think last year's team was good enough to win a championship last year, but last year's team is not good enough to win a championship this year. I It just seems like everybody, the league is much better this year than last year is the way it seems to me. I would agree with that. And I would also say that this year's team, the difference between this year's team and last year's team is system. And as, this system generates far more open looks than last year's system did. Does that like, do you agree with that? Do you disagree? Like, cause I feel like this, this system really does generate a vast majority of open looks compared to last year. Yeah. I mean, it's system and it's rotations too. Like it just, I feel more comfortable with certain rotations and they're not really like each team has its own kind of, you know, uh, alerting issues, whether it was like this year, the rebounding is nowhere near where it was last year. They were like number one or the free throws generated, right? Like, but last year was them blowing leads all the time, the whole season. And then it carried into the playoffs almost every single game. So it's like each one has its own issues, but I would rather have, you know, some rebounding issues than consistently blowing 20 point leads frequently throughout the season in the playoffs. I'd agree with that. And here's the funny thing too. We do talk about rebounding. The crazy part is they're third in defensive rebound rate. They get their they get opponents misses. Just some nights it doesn't look great, but for the vast majority of nights, it's fantastic. You know, they're one of the best rebounding teams in the league overall. It's just their pace bogs them down. Like they're they don't play a high pace. They're 27th in pace, you know? So like their raw rebound numbers never look great, but percentage of rebounds they're grabbing a t- like a considerable amount at. For instance, like their third in defensive rebound rate, Utah's fourth. So among contenders, the Clippers have the best defensive rebound rate in basketball. The teams in first and second, for people wondering, are Chicago and New Orleans. Those are not contenders. So that's why I say among contenders, they have the best defensive rebounding rate. No, well, I want I want to finish this off by asking who who would be because now that you know we're what do we have thirteen games left? Who is the team you're hoping for in the first round of the playoffs with these thirteen games left? I kind of want Portland. I think if there's a team that the Clippers match up well, if the Clippers stay at three, which they could, they're only three, they're three back in the loss column on Monday night. Phoenix was playing Milwaukee on the road and they and they won. In overtime, in a very close game that Phoenix was losing late in the fourth. Shenanigans finish. I mean, kind of, yeah. I mean, it was it was a foul, but whatever. Um, If the Clippers finish third, I want Portland at six. 
I feel like that's the easy, like the funny part is, here's the funny part. If you look at the actual standings right now, if this is how it ended today, I would absolutely be thrilled because the number one seed is Utah. The four and five seeds are Denver and Los Angeles and Denver and the Lakers and Utah would have to play the eight seed, which could be either Dallas, Memphis, Golden State or San Antonio. So if it's the Warriors or the Mavericks at eight, that's perfect. That's that's amazing. Uh, And right now in the Clippers bracket, it would be Phoenix, the uh, Phoenix at two Clippers at three. Portland at six, Dallas at seven, but the winner of like the Dallas Memphis seven, eight game would get the seven seed. And if that's Memphis, I'm cool with that. So like the Clippers right now, if the way this, this bracket broke was, was how it is now, the Clippers would not play Utah, Denver, or the Lakers until the conference finals. And they would only have to play one of them. You would have completely avoid them the whole way through. And I understand Denver's now without Jamal Murray for the rest of the season. And that sucks. I'm, I'm, I'm really sad about the injuries that are happening. Donovan Mitchell had a really bad ankle sprain the other day. So he's out for a little while, but if you're the Clippers, you only, you only have to play one of Utah, Denver, the Lakers. And I think that's the path. But if we're talking just first round, give me Portland and maybe that backfires on me, but I'd rather play Portland at this point. Yeah, the only fear I'd have of Portland is just they seem really good in the clutch where it's like I just wouldn't want a close game against them. But the other thing is like I I don't know if there's going to be like some kind of added level of motivation. You know what I mean? Like if I wasn't the Clippers and I was any other team in the West, I would say give me Portland. But then I'm like because they are the Clippers and Dame just like clearly hates Pat Bev with a fierce passion. Like, is something just going to be like some kind of next level performance where it's like, oh my God, like this guy's on a crazy level. But at the same time, like, I think Portland, it, it, the, the two teams I want are Portland and Dallas. But I think when you look at a playoff series against Dallas, you could argue, especially last season, like in the playoffs, like Luka was the best player on the court a lot of times in that series. So it's like I'd rather have the series where the best player on the court isn't on the opposing team because I feel like that will be Luka again a lot of time. Uh, I mean, I I would just rather play Portland because the defensive issues Portland has. That's just me personally and how the Clippers defend Dame. Yeah, I mean, it matches up better. It's just that it's just that one little like it, it, it it's that one little Murphy's Law intangible factor where it's like is this dude just going to average 35 on like contested shots the entire series? Cause he hates Patrick Beverly so much. Is that what's going to, you know what I mean? Like that's where I'm like, I wonder, or is he just going to lose in four? And then like, the, there's nothing to talk about. Uh, are you happy with how the standings are right now? Yeah, uh, for sure. Cause if I have to, you, you, you'd want the jazz. I mean, the, for the Lakers to go against the Nuggets and the Jazz, or the Mavs to go against the Suns or the uh, against the Spurs or the Jazz, I mean that's fine with me. Like if it started today, I'd be pretty okay. But obviously, we have 13 games left and play the Suns, play the Nuggets. So things can change. Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see what happens over the next you know 13 games. You know, starting tonight with Portland. You know, I mean. The Clippers really only have one true homestand left. They only have five home games left 
in the regular season. Memphis on Wednesday, Denver on May 1st, Toronto May 4th, Lakers May 6th, New York on May 9th. And that's it for their home games. So five home games left in what has felt like the season that has both been very fast and very slow at the same time. Um, are you doing hot take of the week this week or do you not really want to do one? I'll do one. Uh, give it to me. Do you have one? I will think of mine while you give yours. Um, let me try and think if there's a basketball one or a non-basketball one. I think maybe a non-basketball one would be... Hmm. Hold on. I'm taking way too long to think about this. I have way too many hot takes in the bank usually about this. Yeah, you're you're actually thinking way too long right now. It's it's worrying me. <laughs> hot take wise, I'll just say <laughs> you know it's weird is people are giving Chris Paul a lot of flowers now and they're like giving him all this due and it's like he's not doing anything different than he was before you guys are kind of overrating him now he's doing exactly what he did before you guys just hated the clippers so you didn't want to give him any props i would agree with that i don't think that's a hot take uh at least for me personally because i agree with that um i think that there's been a great not like when you say overrating him you don't mean like blowing his contributions out of proportion not you're just meaning like you're talking about so much more now yeah, not not blowing his contributions out of proportion, but it's like now suddenly you guys are saying he's better than like Isaiah Thomas or John Stockton or whatever. And it's like if now is what makes it the difference, like how how is this a difference now than what he was before? It's the same exact guy. You just really dislike to the Clippers. Also, I don't think he's better than Isaiah Thomas if that's a hot take. But All right, I'm trying. I'm still trying to think of what my hot take should be. Um, I'm gonna go. I'm a, ooh, let's, oh, okay. This uh, this shouldn't be a spoiler because it was a live sporting event, and so it shouldn't be a spoiler. Uh, my hot take is in the wrestling realm, which I'm sure you will appreciate, right? Possibly. Okay. Uh, my hot take is the the WrestleMania Night One main event between Sasha Banks and Bianca Belair was an absolutely fantastic match. That's not the hot take. The hot take is. They screwed up the finish because the way that she hits the KOD to win should have been after she slapped her with the hair and then put her in it. They shouldn't have had her slap her with the hair, put her in the KOD. She flips out of it and all this other stuff. It should have just been they go through their little routine of putting trying to get each other's finisher and then uh, Sasha grabs the hair, Bianca slaps her with it, then KODs her. That should have been the finish. Th- their little waltz after they did the hair, hair slap to the midsection, which, by the way, was one of the loudest sounds I've ever heard in the history of, of anything. That should have been the finish. The hair slap into the KOD without the other extracurricular. Eh, I mean, I honestly don't even remember the match that much to, to agree or disagree. I just remember the hair slap and them crying in the beginning. My also my other hot take also has to do with the same WrestleMania night, by the way, which was the steel cage match between Shane and Braun Strowman, because if you really wanted to get over the storyline, even at WrestleMania, 
They should have had Strowman come out first. Shane closed the door and locked the door and kind of played off that Braun's really stupid. Then had Braun rip the cage open to get Shane to bring him in and then had the interference happen. It would have made Braun look even stronger than he was. Like they just completely botched the entire order of events on that. Yeah, there's not much I can say. There's <laughs> not much I can say about it. Okay, yeah. Yeah, okay, that's true. You can't. I, I get to ramble, and you get to hear me and just roll your eyes. I understand. Um, Farbod, you got anything for the good people before we get the hell out of here? Don't get catfished. Do not get catfished, folks. If you don't know what we're referring to, don't worry about it. It's way over your head. Uh, Farbon and I will be back soon. Everybody stay safe. Take it easy. Social distance. Get the vaccine. I don't care if you think I'm peddling this stuff right now. I don't care. I really don't. Just go get the vaccine, if not for yourself, for somebody else that you love. Everybody take it easy. Stay safe. We'll talk to you all later. Bye.